If you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10, as we work our way passage by passage through uh, the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church, uh, we have seen that his answer to our sinful condition is a, a comprehensive grace that deals with every aspect of our sinfulness. But if grace is the answer, we might have this question, well, why wasn't that grace more effective with Israel? In Romans 9, God tells us through Paul that His grace did exactly what He had sent it to do, that His chosen ones out of Israel were indeed recipients of grace. And those uh, who rejected Him uh, were... Uh, rejecting Him because they refused to repent and that God had pursued through the rejection, through the rebellion, those He had chosen to save. In Romans 10, He's going to show us that it's, it's not that you know there were people who were knocking on the doors, begging to get in, and God said, no, I'm sorry, you weren't chosen, but rather that it was, it was those who had heard the Gospel, heard it well, had all of the, the tools that would lead them to the grace and faith in the Lord, and yet they chose another way. They chose the way of self-salvation and self-righteousness, and that was what left them apart from God. So before we read this passage of Scripture in Romans 10, let's pray and ask God's blessing on His Word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to remember and rehearse and hear again the great salvation that Jesus has accomplished. We want to hear it clearly, and that will only happen is if you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We want to take hold of this salvation and have it planted in our hearts, and, and that is a work of your Spirit. So we pray, send your Spirit to work among us, to open our eyes and our ears to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus, to break the power of self-salvation in us, and to cause us to lean on Your Son, uh, who is glorious and gracious, and we love Him. And so we pray in His name. Amen. Romans 10, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may, may be saved. I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. And it's saved, for the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is God's Word. It's completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. Well, it's to imagine a conversation that could take place right out here, not far from uh, these very doors. Imagine a person who is asking directions. I need to get, maybe an out-of-towner, after this, I need to get to Philadelphia, Mississippi. How do I get there? Well, that's simple enough. Head out to Highway 15, go south, 25, 30 miles, and you're there. That's the easiest way, that's the way I would go. But there is another way. You could go out and, and, and head north, and you don't have to go a long ways. When you get to the North Pole, go south. Keep going all the way to the South Pole, and when you turn around, go north on that same line, uh, about 89 degrees longitude, if you should care to know. And keep going, and you will uh, get to Philadelphia. It's just a little under 25,000 miles. Now, the first way I've told you is pretty flat and straight. That's other ways of Tad Hillier. You have to go through the Himalayas, not to mention Antarctica, not to mention the entire Indian Ocean and all of the South Pacific and the Gobi Desert and a few other places. Just be prepared. Now, that conversation is obviously quite silly. But it, in some ways, reflects what, what Paul's getting at in Romans 10 he says that there's, there's two ways to righteousness. One, look at verse 5. For Moses writes about righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. There's a righteousness that comes from law. And if you want to live by the law, do all of the commandments. It's what theologians have said is required is perfect, perpetual, personal obedience to every command. That's what's being described here. It's the way of righteousness by the law. But Paul doesn't want you to be thinking that's the smart way. That's the way that goes north to get to Philadelphia, Mississippi from here. He says, for Christ, verse 4, is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. He says, the righteousness is really close. You don't have to go on this big quest. You don't have to climb the Himalayas you want to trust in Christ, He's the end of the law for righteousness already for everyone who believes. Now, you might think, well, nobody in their right mind would go that long way. But what you find is that because we're sinners, we're not in our right mind. And so, Paul is thinking about these Jewish brothers and he says they had every benefit. If you want to flip back and see it, look back in chapter 9. Verse 4, the Israelites, that to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God forever. Amen. He says the, the Jewish people had every benefit that should lead them to real righteousness, which is Christ, the end of the law for those who would believe into the law for righteousness for those who believe. He says they have every benefit, but they respond to that benefit by going the wrong direction. They went north. He says, listen, I testify, verse 2, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. That's actually a compliment. Paul is saying there's something good among the Jews. They have a zeal for God. There's those who are outside the Jews, those who were not Jewish, who didn't have all those benefits, he says, those don't have a zeal for God. Uh, to, if I could try to 
force this into the illustration I started with. This would be the Gentiles and, and, and the pagans. They were living immoral lives that they were in opposition to God. And so, in the context, uh, they're trying to get to Philadelphia by going east and west. Well, that will never happen. They were outside of the ways of God altogether. That was the picture. They had no zeal for God. Maybe zeal for their own personal benefit. Zeal for their myths and mythologies. The, the Greeks would have a zeal for wisdom and knowledge. The Romans would have a zeal for power and influence. But the Jews they had a zeal for God. That's meant to be a compliment. The problem was their zeal for God was not according to knowledge. And that made it destructive. To, to give you an idea of what that might mean, a zeal for God that's not according to knowledge is like giving a five-year-old a chainsaw. It's got power, but it's not going to be wielded correctly. It's going to be destructive. A zeal for God without knowledge is destructive. Look what it did. Verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. It did two things to them. One is, they heard of all the things that God gave them. The covenants, they had the temple worship, they had all of the, the law, they had everything from the prophets. It was meant to point them to faith in Christ and righteousness as a gift. But instead, they ignored this righteous standard of God and said, I'm going to find one of my own. I'm going to seek my own righteousness. They ignored God and sought their own. That's the two things. They looked at God's standard and said, okay, that's too high. And, and perhaps uh, even subconsciously, they said, let's bring that standard down to one that we can manage. Let's reduce the law of God to something that we can do. And so they created a, a whole list of rules to say, if you want to keep the Sabbath, do these things. If you want to make sure you don't take the, the Lord's name in vain, just never say the Lord's name. And you'll keep all these commands. And they reduced the commandments to what they could do. And so they ignored God's real standard. And they sought a, a righteousness that was their own, one of their own performing. Now, he goes on to say, here's what that's going to really look like. He says it in verse 6. The righteousness of faith will say, don't do it that way. The righteousness of faith says, don't try to make your own. Don't say in your heart. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? Don't think to yourself, I can do this. I can, I can make up my quest and I can arrive at Christ who is in heaven. Because when you think, when you begin to think, who's going to ascend to heaven? I am. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work hard and make my way and have my own righteousness that gets me to God. He says that's to bring Christ down. It's to take the standard of God, the holiness of God, and to shrink it to something that we can manage. Um, I heard a, a counselor say it like this. He says, we all try to go into a 50-foot room and we bring in a 4-foot ladder. That's what we're doing. We're saying, I'll ascend to heaven, but what we're really doing is bringing Christ down to us instead of us rising to Christ. If I can, again, force it into my earlier illustration, it's like heading north to get to Philadelphia. 
Some of us might make it to the city limits before we go, oh, this is a terrible idea. Some of us who are very zealous might make it clear into Canada. And let's say some of us were to even figure out a way to navigate the, the North Sea. We've still got all of Siberia and all of the desert. And no one is going to actually make it, no matter how zealous we are. We're not going to be able to bring Christ down, really. And we're never going to make it up to Him. He, he, he adds this comment in verse 7, who will descend to the abyss. You see, even the religious, the Pharisees, the, the, the most religious of them all would have acknowledged they had done things wrong, that they had sinned. They, they, none of them thought, I've never sinned. They thought they had done things wrong and those sins needed to be addressed. But they felt like I could pay for them. That I could achieve a sufficient righteousness to make God look away. Whether it was by sacrifices or religious performances or penance or something that they did, they were going to descend into the abyss sufficiently to make God satisfied. They would still achieve a righteousness of their own. They didn't need help. That, that's, that's the idea. If they heard of, of God and they knew they needed righteousness and so they sought one of their own. But it says, if you descend into the abyss, if you try to pay for your own sins, that's to bring Christ up from the dead. It's to say that Christ's death wasn't necessary. Now, I want you to think about what that would mean to God the Father. For us to say, look, I'm doing okay on my own. I'm a pretty moral person. I'm a pretty religious person. I'm doing okay. And I've been better than I've been bad. And I felt bad for my sins. I felt bad enough. I want you to accept that. We're saying to God, and you didn't need to send your son. What a waste. I didn't need Him. I didn't need Jesus to die. And you see how really what you're doing is you're saying to the Father, I don't need what you've offered. I'm okay on my own. And you're spitting in His face because He sent His beloved Son to rescue you. And to reject it is to reject God utterly. This is why moral people are still away from God because they've rejected who God is, the God who gives grace. They've rejected how high His standard really is and how much He hates sin. They've taken it all and said, oh, just be okay. To seek a righteousness of our own is the most powerful sickness that will keep you from God. To try to achieve a righteousness from our own performance. So, so I want to ask this question, what is your zeal? You know, zeal today is a bad term. We don't like the word zeal. It's, you know, the person who has zeal is a zealot and we don't like extremists. So let's all be just kind of right here happy in the middle. But the truth is we all have something that wakes us up in the morning, something that drives us. And the Jews had a zeal for God, but it was trying to get there the wrong direction. What's your zeal? Perhaps your zeal is to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to obey. I'm going to keep the commands. I really want to do this. And I want you to hear me say this very clearly. If your zeal is to be good, it will keep you from God. 
maybe your zeal, is to be very disciplined and very spiritual. I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray all the time. I'm going to do this great. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for other people. I'm going to have spiritual conversations. I'm going to be a religious man or woman. And I want you to know, if that's your zeal, it will keep you from God. The Jews, the Pharisees, they knew their Bibles and they prayed and it kept them from God. So, if we can't pray ourselves to God and we can't read our Bibles to God and we can't make ourselves spiritual enough to God, how do we do it? It seems too far. That's what he says next, verse 8. What does it say? The Word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, the Word of faith you proclaim. I'm telling you that righteousness is not a quest. It's a gift. And it's here right now. Jesus gives righteousness. And so, zeal's not bad. Paul is saying the zeal they had for God was good and I want you to have it. But it's got to be according to knowledge. What's the knowledge? He tells you in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He says you need two pieces of knowledge that's going to take your zeal and turn it in the right direction. The knowledge is this. You need to know who Jesus is. And you need to know what He has done. And it is the most simple part of Christianity. Jesus is the Lord. You must confess that. Agree with it. Acknowledge it. It must be your own personal confession. Jesus is Lord. And, and that rings sort of so familiar to us it's hard to comprehend how radical that would have been to the Roman church. This was written perhaps 30 years after Jesus had died on the cross. So not long, uh, really, after He had died. And so for him, th- him to say, you need to confess that Jesus, the man, is in fact the Lord of the universe, would have been a hard thing to say. It's become commonplace after 2,000 years for us. But it was really new and really radical for them. But it really is for us too. You see, the, the Jews would have had a really hard time saying that a man was divine. And the Romans would have had a, wouldn't have had a hard time saying a man was divine. That was part of their mythology all the time. They would have had a hard time saying a man was the divine and there was no other. But that was the confession they were called to, that a man was Lord. And remember, 30 years, 30 years, That would be a little bit like someone today saying, Reagan is Lord. Now, a few of you are Republicans, and you might go, we liked him. He was really good. And and when we hear conservatives talk about Reagan, it's in always positive terms. If you're a little bit left-leaning, you might look back and go, it wasn't that great. But no one says he was Lord. But that's what Paul says. This man who died 30 years ago is Lord. And you must confess it. And not just that He is Lord. That's not just who He is. But what He has done, He has risen from the dead, which implies, of course, that you believe He was dead. That the Lord, the divine Lord, died and rose from the dead. 
Now, why does that turn your zeal in the right direction? Because you're saying with those things, it wasn't for nothing that He came. It wasn't that I'm now trying to raise myself up to seek God, but that God came in a man. That Jesus, this man, was God come down to get us. I'm stopping trying to elevate myself up to Him. He came to us. And I'm trusting His coming to us, not my, my ability to raise myself up to Him. And He died. He went to the abyss to pay for my sins, not me. And He has risen from the dead, and He is my security, not me. And so all of this righteousness, all of this right standing with God is separated from my obedience entirely. My righteousness with God comes completely from this man who is the Lord in flesh and who died in my place and rose again. Your righteousness before God comes entirely from this man. And see, you know how that changes everything. The Jews said, we have a zeal for God and so we're going to become righteous on our own. And you say, I have a zeal for God too. But it's because God made me righteous already. And now you can look at the law and say, I'm going to do that, but not because you're constructing a righteousness, but because you're responding to Him. And you can read your Bible. You see, before, these Jews would read their Bible and they'd say, I'm going to be spiritual enough on my own. You can have a zeal for God, and so you read your Bible so you can know this one you have a zeal for. It's not because you're constructing a righteous, you're righteous already, but you read it because you want to know of the one who's made you righteous. You see, the Jew, when he was, had a zeal for God that made him construct his own righteousness, had to pray in a way that says, I'm going to pray good enough so that God will be satisfied with me. If you're trusting in Christ who's come to you and died for you and risen from the dead for you and you're already righteous, when you go to pray, you're talking to the one who's made you righteous. And you're free just to say, well, here's who I am and here's why I need help. You're free to come to Him as you are. And it's real prayer. You have to fake it if you're trying to construct a righteousness of your own because you're not good enough to pray well enough. So you fake it. But now you can say, well, I'm distracted today. I'm bothered today. I'm, fr- I'm doubting today. You can be who you are. But know you're righteous because Christ has done it. Here's the genius of this. Because the righteousness that God gives is apart from your performance, it's available to anyone. Verse 11, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. If you have been following the, that Jewish model, you've been zealous for God, but because you're, you, you've tried to be zealous for God by constructing your own righteousness, by your own performance, and I want you to hear today, He says, there's a righteousness that's given to you. Stop chasing it. There's a righteousness that's free for you today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, with the heart one believes and is justified. Here's what that means. When uh, 
There's a, a man who was a, a staff with a parachurch ministry and his young daughter had come to him saying she wanted to ask Jesus into her heart. And so he talked with her about it and they prayed together and she went up to bed and, and he and his wife were celebrating and, and practically tearful in joy when his daughter came back down from bed and said, Dad, I asked Jesus into my heart, I need to ask him into my stomach too. And he said, I don't think I explained that very well to you. It's, it's not that you're trying to get Jesus into the, this organ that pumps blood, but the heart is the core of your being. It's, it's kind of the, uh, the place where your will and your emotions and your person, they all meet together. The heart represents that. And you're saying, with the very core of who I am, I believe in this Jesus as Lord and that He has risen from the dead for me. And if you have been trying to construct your own righteousness, then hear the command of freedom. Stop and trust in the Lord Jesus and be really righteous right now. And if you're here today, and this sermon has sort of felt like it's a little distant from you because you're more like those uh, you know, pagans who didn't have a zeal for God. You've had a zeal for everything else. A zeal for making a name for yourself, a zeal for success, a zeal for wealth, a zeal for having good friends and having a good reputation, for being attractive. Whatever has been the driving force in your life, listen to this today. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Today, let those zeals go. Let those zeals from you know, the east and the west go. And come to this one who is the true Lord and the true Savior. And make your zeal for God, but not because you're constructing your own personal self-saving righteousness, but because you are coming to the Lord who gives it as a gift freely. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you will be saved. It is God's grace. This week, uh, we had a... A uh, man from Memphis, Noah Brink, came in to uh, do some training with the teachers at Grace Christian School. He himself is a teacher and a coach at uh, Evangelical Christian School in Memphis. He came to talk about sort of philosophy of, of teaching and education and, and thinking through some really helpful things about how to uh, do school well. And uh, one of the stories he told, among many, uh, was that he had a student who uh, was in his 10th grade Bible class. And he needed to get a 65 to pass. That was passing in the, in the class. And uh, really, since 64 and a half will let you round up, 64.5 is all you needed. And he'd had a tough first semester, but he tried to bring his grade up. And at the end of the second semester, the averages were in, and he had a 64.2. Three-tenths of a point short. And he came and said, Mr. Brink, Mr. Brink, please, just give me three-tenths of a point. He said, all right, come talk to me after school. Noah Brink went to his headmaster and had an idea, and he said he got permission. So the student came in and he said, all right, listen, I'm not going to give you three-tenths of a point. You can either fail with a 64.2, or I'll give you the first hundred I've ever given anybody in my Bible class but I will not give you three-tenths of a point. It will be perfection or failure. And a student said, oh, oh Mr. Rick, just, just give me three-tenths of a point. No, a hundred or failure. 
What do you think he did? He took the 64 points in. Because he couldn't receive the grace. Because he had to construct it himself. And it left him failed. Dear beloved in Christ Jesus, he has given you a hundred. And we weren't even at 64.2. But he gave you a hundred. So receive it. Receive it and believe. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. And believe that he has risen from the dead for you. And you are righteous because of it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. I really get that student's trouble because I just want to contribute some. I know I can't do it on my own, but I want to walk a little bit. I want to do some of it. I want to earn a piece of it. And the truth is, that entire desire is from hell. And I wish you would help me put it to death. To lean myself entirely upon Jesus the Lord, who is risen from the dead. Oh God, we pray you would help us believe in Him and have no righteousness of our own, but to receive His as a gift. We pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.